Will your child be ready for kindergarten? At Chesterbrook Academy Preschool, the answer is yes. Our curriculum offers the perfect balance of learning and play. Our teachers personalize that experience for each child through engaging activities that develop the skills they need to be ready for what comes next. Attend a Chesterbrook Academy open house on Saturday, January 26th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. To find a preschool near you, click the banner or visit chesterbrookacademy.com. That's chesterbrookacademy.com. The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is at eye level? A reductive ad absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day, whether it's politics... Let's try that again. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network on Blog Talk Radio. p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. You're listening to Weird Sleep Inside the Goldmine, your central guide to things wild and wonderful and awful. Tonight, Lucha Libre Contra los Monstruos. Online 
welcome to what is smack dab in the middle of the fourth season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So in this, well, the second installment of our look into cinema south of the border, we'll be heading to sunny Mexico. Uh, one of the most recognizable and recognizably insane subgenres of cinema is that of luchador, featuring well-known masked wrestlers facing off against mummies, mad scientists, zombies, vampires, sinister dwarves, and more. Often paired off with other notables and rivals in the ring, tonight we talk the surprisingly lengthy film career of the legendary Emascarado de Plata, a uh, man in the silver mask, El Santo, his longtime foe but cinema bestie, Blue Demon, No Mascaras, Superzon, Tinieblas, and more as we talk Lucha Libre contra los Monstros. I'm Doc Savage, and with me is my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul. Hi, Lewis. Hello. So, what's up on uh, this uh, eve of uh, Memorial Day here? It was very quiet, actually. Uh, it's a hot one. Uh, That's for sure. We seem to have gone from uh gosh we seem British to have weather. gone from British weather you know kind of mildly damp rainy all the bloody time like we were living in Portland um <laughs> Portland or Oregon um and uh, just really rainy cool damp occasional warm day and then boom and now we got 91 today, I believe it was 90 yesterday, and we got yep. like five days of this coming. Which, you know, for those of us who are tired of the, uh, I like the sun, but it, I, I like it in moderation. I don't like it like, <laughs> okay, summer's here. We're not even in June yet. We have a few more days, but well. <laughs> there is a level to which, you know, it's nice after being through the winter when all of a sudden you see the days are getting brighter, the weather's getting a little warmer. You know, springtime, that's nice stuff. Uh, summer, I stopped loving when I was probably 20. <laughs> it's like once you said, you know what, I don't need to go to the fucking beach and do all these dirt bags. That's kind of the end of it. You know, after that, you just don't want the heat anymore. You'd like, you'd, you'd rather have it be more like spring weather uh, going into not so much early fall, but you know what I mean. That that level of temperatures in the 60s, maybe oh, low yeah. 70s, and that's yeah, it. Fall's my favorite, yeah. But, uh, of course, we we went from low 70s to, like, 90. 100. <laughs> 100. It feels like it was kind of humid, too. It was, like, 1030 in the morning. I usually go for a walk in the morning just because, you know, I get away from my fucking job. And uh, I couldn't even do it today. I was like, no, there's no way because it was already 86 at 1030 in the morning. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Forget this. <laughs> I'm sitting there sweating all day. Yeah, there go the jackets. They go, they go back to the closet. Yeah. This is not even windbreaker weather. Um, we are talking to liberties tonight. We're, we're actually trying to figure out how to handle uh, a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of good Mexican stuff. There's uh, the Abel Salazar films. Uh, yeah. The Vampire, the Vampire's Coffin. Um, 
See, um, when you had first when we first talked uh, Mexican stuff, I'm thinking Rene Cardona and Rene Cardona Jr. films, the K. Gordon Murray stuff, like you were mentioning, yeah. things like the Brainiac and whatever else. And yes, Santo films as well. But I was surprised that you really went for the Santo Mexican uh, Mexican wrestling versus monsters thing right away. I'm like, all right. Now it's it's one of those things like spaghetti westerns or to some extent even Polizio Tecci, where a lot of it is really kind of the same. I mean, you can say certain things, certain films will stand out over other ones, but it's like, well, yeah, okay, I've probably seen I don't know sixty five of them, something like that. Uh, I know I got at least you know forty of them in my collection, uh, and yet you know what can you really say about them to a certain point? There's a certain point we're going to be able to discuss, and after that, it's like, well, if you got anything else to say, we'll go from there. <laughs> Yeah, so, well, uh, I wanted I wanted to do these because uh, I mean, off air we we had discussed between us uh, that yeah, there's a certain sameness to these movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, how often nowadays are they discussed? These things tend to, I believe it was in the uh, mid to late seventies, uh, Univision and Galavision, the uh, Spanish language. Uh, they weren't cable at the time. They were UHF right. stations. And um, they were showing these on and off, and people were taping them and uh, editing out the commercials. And some by the 80s, some people were actually uh, trying to uh, do the uh, on the gray market, you know, trying to put them out there. And, you know, some of them were kind of hard to find. I knew... I know myself, I looked a long time for one of the pictures we're going to discuss tonight. I actually got it from France, a guy in France in black and white before I finally got it in color. And I saw it today. It's on YouTube in color, uncut, which is really Yeah, do cool. you remember even going back to the early millennium, maybe the late 90s, but definitely the early millennium, uh, it was a big deal. And they even wrote it up in stuff like Video Watchdog. About oh yeah, this company Beverly Wilshire, they, they, they're sort of gray market, but grab them, snap them up while you can, because they released a whole bunch of these Mexican films, and they were mm-hmm. totally cheapo. You know, you were lucky if you had to pay five bucks for the damn things. Generic covers, total garbage. Like the thing you find at the bottom of a bargain bin for ninety nine cents. And yet we were all really grateful to grab these at conventions and whatever the hell else. I know I did one, one of the earlier conventions I went to that uh, I didn't know you at the time, but it was your convention. Uh, and, you know, it was a big deal until then we got Casa Negra for a while, and that was fantastic. And there was another company, I think it was Rise Above, putting out some Santos box sets, and that was all great. And then all of them went belly up. So we got partial filmographies and stuff that's frustratingly unreleased in any format, like uh, the Nostradamus films or the second uh, Gaston Sancho's film, which I think was uh, Swamp of the Lost Monsters. I mean, there's a few out there that just, why the hell didn't this one come out? Uh, but, you know, there is a percentage of them that did come out, and if you were lucky enough to grab them or find them on the secondhand market, uh, they're in nice uh, – I hate to say remastered, but some of these really do look nice and often are do, in yeah. their English dubs. So, uh, you know, then again, we had to get a lot of them because my wife was big on these as well. We went through our little uh, Mexican wrestling period, and – a lot of them we had to get from Spanish language things. I think actually Sony has a whole bunch of them, but they never bothered. They just figure it's like a, a niche market within the Latin whatever. 
and you would go into a store and find them in you know the Latin section alongside of whatever the hell Selena discs or whatever the hell. Uh, and of course, they're not subtitled or anything; they're not English friendly at all. It's just you know if you're really into this stuff, you kind of know that there's really no plot to the damn thing. You're just watching it for a laugh, and you get them cheap enough. You know, it's an option. Uh, I would not say that those are. I'm too happy about those because they just you know, it, to me that's like junk because it's not. Well, it's not really in English, but you know, nonetheless, it is a way to get a lot of them still to this day. Well, the, even the Sony ones are hard to find uh, lately. I noticed. So actually, I, I, uh, in preparation for the show, I've been getting some from Mexico. Really, <laughs> from South America. Wow. And uh, uh, some came right away. Uh, two got lost, and they were kind enough to not give me a hassle and reshipped, and I got them a day later. Oh wow! So. Uh, yeah, I was very, very pleased. As opposed to DeepDiscountDVD.com. Oh, fuck those guys. Yeah, they're a problem. My, my, <laughs> my Serena Grandy movies, I'm still fighting between them and Amazon. Nobody wants to take uh, responsibility for two lost films. Um, <sighs> but these guys from Mexico were kind enough to like, oh, it looks like you never got them. They sent me a new tracking number. The next day I got them. How's that? Yeah, that's the problem. You know, deep discount, you can often get a better price than you can somewhere else like Amazon, but their customer service is notoriously bad. And, you know, you do get these situations where they kind of screw you over. And long waits, long ship times, um, extraordinarily long, uh, and a lot of scares like, oh, my God, this get lost in the mail, and maybe it'll show up, maybe it won't, (laughs) kind of a thing. So they're a dicey. It's a source. You know, there aren't too many sources nowadays, but they're a dicey source. So. Which is a shame. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. They they do have terrific prices. Um, but and they got rare shit. I mean, they, no doubt about it. There's stuff I didn't see Amazon having. They had it. It's like well, I'm never going to buy from these guys. So fuck them. <laughs> yeah. That being said, um, I noticed. I saw almost all these Sentinel movies and quite a few of the Blue Demon films. Wow. And over the years, over the years. So, I mean, you could, you could tell me which ones you liked. And, I, I, you know, I could tell you which ones I liked and loved. And, so, you know, some of them are samey and some of them just have... I mean, I, I'll start off right off the bat. I'm not the world's largest wrestling fan growing up. I had friends good friends that were wrestling fans, and of course, back in those days, uh, best wrestling, you know, was big still, right. about the 70s, and, um, you know, you had the magazine, you know, wrestling back then was different the way it is now. Oh, way you know, different. Yeah, yeah, like the wrestling magazines that were on the newsstands with bloodied guys on the cover, yep. really, bloody and gory. We're not talking like Fango and shit like that with makeup. It was like, you know, uh, book Brockmaker gets slammed with a chair. Read the, read the <laughs> interview. I'm like, oh, my God, that's disgusting, you know. I would go with my friend Stu's, and Stu would be, have this poster of, uh, I don't know, it's uh, uh, some blonde-haired, beefy guy. Maybe no, not Brutus Beefcake. I don't think he was blonde. And it was like he had a poster of this guy, old bloody. I'm like, Stu, why is that on your wall? 
<laughs> Maybe it was like uh, Arnie and Ole Anderson. I'm, I'm actually uh, friends with their, I think it's one of their nephews, who actually does wrestling on a, a you know, I guess more localish level. He he does go across states uh, and does go on tours and things like that, but it's not, you know, WWE level. Uh, though he does deal with a lot of those wrestlers as well at various events and things like that. Uh, so that's very possible. That's who you're talking about. But who knows? There's so many people that were big back then. You know, Nick Bockwinkle, who knows? Uh, <laughs> that was so, the era. So, when, yeah, uh, so it, yeah. it never really did much for me. I could take it or leave it. And then I saw the, <laughs> uh, well, it was it was shown here, a very popular movie. It was in the English dub, was Robert versus the Aztec Mummy. Originally called Los Luchadores versus El Robo Asesino or something like that. Um, uh, garish colors, uh, uh, really well shot, actually well paced. A freaking insane movie about a mad scientist, an ape creature, and a couple of fabulously well endowed female wrestlers. <laughs> and 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 uh, this this. Uh, Police lieutenant, it was a love of one of them. It, it was really good, and the wrestling wasn't bad. I mean, take it, it wasn't shoved down our throat, you know, that kind of thing. Is that uh, Night of the Bloody Apes? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's the Cardona one. I think Cardona Sr. did that one. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. That That's actually one of the first ones that was pretty easily available. Um, I'm not a fan of that particular one, not so much for the wrestling part and the pretty girls, but for the Gorse, because it, they were trying to tap into a little bit of Herschel Gordon-Lewis, a little bit of, um, yeah. who was that, Pat Patterson that did Dr. Gore, you know, that kind of, oh, look, we're going to have open heart surgery and show it to you in the middle of, you know, a monster, an ape guy chasing around a bunch of, you know, female busty wrestlers going around in, um, you know, devil outfits and things like that. It was great, except for that. That was just like, oh, I don't want to see this shit. What's this doing here? And if you did want to see that, it was disappointing because it wasn't really a gore film because, you know, that wasn't the overall motif. It was a cheesy Mexican wrestling film with hot girls in it. Uh, so it was really a failed experiment overall. Uh, but there are elements that are good. Uh, I think much better than that was uh, Doctor of Doom, which was kind of the same idea but more Edgar Wallace slash, you know, pulp serial. Uh, and again, with female wrestlers, uh, I don't think they were as good oh, looking, yeah, yeah. but... Uh, you had like a mad and scientist, was, and once again, you had right. this, you know, ape-type creature, this, you know, this big brutish guy uh, that was his, you know, whatever kind of creation, his Frankenstein monster, more or less, and he would use him to wrestle in addition to, you know, robbing banks and whatever else it was. I think it was a thing about mind control, really, but, uh, you know, same idea. It's definitely the same idea, and I thought it was more successful because it didn't try to throw the gore elements in, which just don't fit. Well, yeah, but Doctor of Doom was in English, uh, her da, uh, in black and white, what I meant to say. Right. Whereas the other one was in color. It was in color. It was like, yep. Yeah, it was vibrant really, color. Really yeah. Vibrant color, yeah. So I actually worked my way back uh, through. I said, well, let me check out this guy Santo. You know, he was on my radar, so to speak. You know, on on the edge of it, and uh, so yeah, I I uh, I even got to the point where. Like, he was living in Brooklyn at the time. Fuzzy, it's UHF, right? Yeah. yeah. Fuzzy UHF, uh, moving the antenna around. One of the one of the old VCR recorders, one of the old the old jobs. Stupid little did we know back then, um, 
taping things at the six hour and eight hour speed was not really good. Yeah, exactly. I did a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a few managed to get the short lived T one I think there was the T one eighty tapes. They were the mm-hmm. ten hours. Yeah. And uh, we thought we were smart, like, oh look, I got ten movies on this. And then yeah, you go especially watch when, like, wow. Especially back then, because if you remember, videotapes were not the two dollars that they became towards the end of the medium. They were like six and eight and more. Sometimes you could pay fifteen bucks for a tape, depending on yeah, you know where you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it was super expensive to just say, okay, I'm just gonna have one movie on this. But of course, you know, in retrospect, it was like, well, these old pictures look like shit because they're all recorded in EP. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah, and and that, but we didn't know, you know, and. We thought we were well. The other thing was we believed the bullshit about the technology back then. We believed that if even if we did that, oh, we're just you know, we're, what do we know about marginally uh, the quality of things? <clears throat> and it wasn't until we got smarter and realized, well, my case when I, um, it was harder to get reception for these off-world. And uh, it was harder to find these movies until I actually moved to Sunset Park uh, back in the 90s, I think it was. And uh, Sunset Park in Brooklyn, which is a huge Spanish section. I walk into a video store one day. Yeah, you move. The first thing you can do is join a video store. Or just finish putting the groceries away. Like, let me go to the video store and join it. (laughs) And... uh, Sunset Park, there were several, and I'd walk in, and I was like, oh, my God, pay dirt. There was Nashy stuff in Spanish, which was right. longer, and I talked. I think I mentioned something about that on the Nashy show. Yeah. And there was, like, Mexican wrestler stuff, and it was just great. So you actually started a couple of strains of thought while you were you know, introducing this here. And one being about wrestling per se, uh, me personally, I was never as huge a wrestling fan as friends of mine were, but I definitely had periods where I was very much into it. Uh, actually got into it before, uh, just when it was turning over from being this sort of, you know, Nick Bockwinkel versus Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant was the big star back then, uh, sort of thing that you're describing. And when Vince McMahon Jr. Uh, started taking over or at least making himself more prominent uh, in his father's organization. So he would be out there announcing things, not even necessarily in the ring, but more like what later on people like me and Gene Oakland were doing, you know, and, and Lord Alfred Hayes, you know, that, that kind of, I'm going to have the interview with the wrestlers and they do their little skit. Um, so things were changing. And I thought that, I still think to this day, that was the best period of wrestling. It was probably around somewhere between 82 and 85 uh, with maybe 85 being the really backing because I think already they were talking WrestleMania at that point. I know a lot of people think that's when it really kicked off, but that was kind of its death knell in a way uh, because you lost a lot of what was really hilarious about wrestling before that. You Before that, you had people like George the Animal Steel. You had people like Roddy Piper. You had people like Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, Hogan was coming up. Uh, it was a very, very different time, and you had some of the old guard that was there as well. You know, the the Bob uh, Backlands and the uh, Andre the Giants and the the Ole Andersons and things like that. Um, it was a really uh, cool time for this kind of stuff, and that was where I was really into it. And then afterwards, when it got more, I think the first WrestleMania was wow, this is really cool. 
But we kind of – I was watching stuff with my father. We used to watch on MSG. Remember the MSG network uh, that you yeah, could sure. get on UHF? Uh, they were great because they would show the entire event. So you wouldn't just get the parts that you know Vince whoever was would want to show you. It wasn't like a Monday Night Raw or some crap. You would get the midget wrestlers. You would get the female wrestlers. And this was before they were divas. like scary old ladies and stuff beating each other up. Uh, you know, this is the kind of one you wouldn't want to run into in a dark alley. You'd probably hang around a bar all day. Uh, but they're going to kick your friggin' ass. Uh, you know, and you get these three-and-a-half-hour events, and they were great because you had all kinds of crazy shit on the card. I always liked the gimmick wrestlers. I think a lot of that went away over the years. Uh, you know, that was really cool. But was I obsessed like other people that I knew? No. Uh, and I definitely did drop out sometime probably around WrestleMania two, around that era, uh, until – you know, you know, I just sort of kept a cock die every now and then. I would run across an event and leave it on for a couple minutes. You know, somebody else might be watching it, whatever, until my wife came down. And she discovered – I discovered that she enjoyed wrestling back when. And we started watching a lot of stuff. And that was around the time that I had Katarina Lee Waters on the air. We had talked about – because the time that we were watching almost directly paralleled when she was wrestling in WWE as uh, – I think it was Katie Lee or something, uh, where she was supposed to be screwing her brother or whatever. They were like two English uh, weirdos. And, and uh, that whole period was like, okay, that was enjoyable. And then we went back and got a lot of stuff from before that, some of the stuff from that stupid attitude era, which everybody loves, uh, some stuff from the middle period, from the 80s. Uh, but again, it kind of went down the toilet. I understand that they really made it family-friendly and safe these days, and attendance is way on down. Uh, they're having trouble, actually. So uh, that's in terms of wrestling for me. But in terms of the Santos stuff and uh, these kind of luchador films, uh, before I said that that was an early one for me, like Doctor of Doom and uh, the Night of the Bloody Apes, but early is kind of relative because – Doctor Doom was part and parcel of a bunch of movies that were being shown on Commander USA. Do you remember Commander USA? Uh, he, would, he would be on Saturdays. It was some guy. I think his name was Jim Hendricks or something. And basically, he was a middle-aged, overweight, Clark Gable-looking uh, superhero wannabe with a paunch. And he had like a, he would draw with his cigar, like a, a pan puppet on his one hand. He called it Lefty with a little smiley face. Uh, and he would introduce all these movies and do shtick that was usually actually based on something that happened in the movie. You know, that like when we saw DeSorio doing the Horror of the Zombies. You know, like, oh, those Vasquez or those props are great. And he actually had like a toy boat that he lit on fire and a pail of water. You know, that kind of thing. He would copy stuff that was in the movies. I loved that show. I was actually a member of the fan club. I think I still had the fan club card. Uh, I had a friend, like a family friend who was like at that point in his 50s, and I'm like you know, a teenager, and I bought him the Commander USA shirt because he loved it so much. <laughs> I understand like his wife hated me for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was fun stuff, and he would show a couple of, you know, K. Gordon Murray uh, type films, actually a lot of K. Gordon Murray films, but in the package – included Doctor of Doom and included a couple of Santo films, which to this day are really still some of my favorites. Um, let's see. I wanted to say earlier that uh, there were a lot of team-ups in this genre, which we'll get to later. A lot of them were between Santo and Blue Demon, who, as I had mentioned in the write-up, were actually ring rivals. So they hated each other, or at least Blue Demon hated him, and you can kind of see it on screen sometimes uh, if, you're, if you know what to look for. Like, Ooh, he doesn't look too happy there. Uh, and I always remember that not just myself, but my father, who loved this crap too, uh, and my wife later on, 
all liked Blue Demon better in those movies because you know Santa was kind of an old guy, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, but if you saw the Blue Demon films when he's by himself, he can't he can't hack it. it. It's just not the same thing. Santa was much more of a presence. So even when he's in these silly movies uh, or doing some, eh, I don't want to say half-ass wrestling, but you know, again, he was getting older. He didn't do a lot, uh, at least towards the end. Uh, he still had a more I hate to say charisma, but it was kind of like Hogan in his prime. You know, people kind of paid attention. Even if you didn't like him, oh, here he goes. He's going to Hulk up again, you know, the whole shtick. Oh, wait, let's do the test of strength. Yeah, whatever. You know, Hulkamaniacs, let's get the crowd to cheer and, you know, wave the flag. All right, fine. But you still paid attention. And that's kind of the difference there. Santo had that, and Blue Demon definitely did not. Um, and then there oh, was another one. Okay. Mil, Mil Mascaris. Yes, I was going to get to him next. Uh, Bill Moscaris was actually interesting because I don't know if it was the same guy or if they had different people wearing the mask because he was one of the guys that we saw. I actually didn't see one of his films yet. He was one of the guys that used to be on MSG Wrestling. Never saw him over here because that's another thing I didn't mention. Besides the female wrestlers and the midget wrestlers, you had Mexican wrestlers in the middle of a WWE match or what was it at the time, WWF. Uh, So... There was one I talk about it all the time whenever I mention wrestling and something that comes up. It was hilarious. It was Neil Moscaris, and he, there was a match where he was fighting. I don't know who, some other man's wrestler, and the ref got a phone call. So you actually see the ref. Oh wait, what's going on? Oh, a phone call for you know whatever his name was, and you see the ref walk off out of the ring and go to a public phone booth and stand there and like look at the phone. And he's talking like, oh, wait, there's nobody here. What's going on? And of course, in the meantime, the, the rivals doing dirty tricks and wound up beating Neil Moscaris. By the time the, the ref got back, it was like, oh look, yo, he beat you. One, two, three. You're down. <laughs> yeah, cheap. Like, you know who was great too around that time? I was mentioned before at wrestlers. I loved Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji and Tiger Chung Lee. Uh, always dirty tricks and stuff. You know, throwing that, oh, look, the salt in the eyes. And here comes Tiger Chung Lee with his stick and he's going to hit you across the back when the ref's not looking. And, you know, he's there begging on his knees. He's like, no, no, please don't hurt me. And then they do some of the dirty trick. It was that kind of a thing. Hilarious shit if you've seen it. Uh, but that was my introduction to him. Uh, and he was actually in a couple of movies, not a lot, but those are enjoyable. I would call him definitely a second to Santo. I mean, even though Blue Demon did more and is probably more known in terms of the films, I think Mascaris did a better job. Uh, it was more likable. Uh, and there was other guys, you know, uh, Tini Eblis, you know, Darkness, which is, you know, I thought he was kind of cool, but he wasn't in too many. Uh, like the Champions of Justice he was in. That was one that had no Moscas, Blue Demon, Tini Eblis, El Medico Asesino, the, the, the killer doctor, and La Sombra Vengadora, the, the vengeance, the, the shadow of vengeance. Uh, of course, the last two were like nothing. Who the hell knows who we were? Uh, but there was a couple of these movies. Moments of Guanajuato, which had Moscas, Blue Demon, and Santo. Champions of Justice mm-hmm. Return. Which had Mil Moscas, El Fantasma Blanco, the White Phantom, uh, El Rayo de Jalisco, uh, the Ray of something, I mean Ray of Sun, and uh, El Avispon Escarlata, the, the Scarlet, I don't know what the hell that is, uh, <laughs> and a couple others. Uh, Mil Moscas was in it, Tinebles was in it, El Fantasma Blanco uh, was in a couple of these things. There was one, uh, Theft of the Mummies of Guanajuato, I had Moscas Angel, uh, Blue Angel, and uh, Rayo de Jalisco. Uh, well, Mil team was Superzon. Oh, you saw it? Yeah. Because we have one that is a Mummies of Guanajuato, but I'm not if it's that one or not. Uh, there's a Vampires of Kokoyam with Mil Moscus and Superzon, who we'll also talk for a couple minutes. And then there was the last one of these uh, 
I think not only of the team-ups, but one of the last Luchador films, which was Mystery in Bermuda, which had Mascaris, El Santo, and Blue Demon. I was in 77. Uh, if it wasn't already clear from the write-up, what we're talking about here is these people were real-life wrestlers in Mexico. Uh, and we'll get to the, the story about that in a minute, but uh, they would show up in these movies that were usually either horror or sci-fi and occasionally crime, uh, sometimes even westerns, which is really weird. And, you know, they'd be there, and people acting like they're normal, call them in like they're a secret agent or a spy or whatever, and there would be somebody like Santo sitting there with his ridiculous, like, you know, the, the masked wrestler, basically, but instead of just with his shirt off, maybe, I mean, Santo started out, he had a cape a lot of times, which was a tablecloth, uh, driving a Jaguar, uh, or you usually get later, and we really loved He'd be there in like a turtleneck sweater or a nice suit. So here's this guy that's just like, you know, basically like a business meeting. Maybe sometimes he had a pipe, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, maybe it's like your uncle. Maybe it's like, you know, you're going to have a meeting with the execs. And but the one guy's got a fucking mask on. So and they're all talking like it's normal. Like, oh yeah, okay. What do you think, Santo? Oh, I think this hilarious shit. He had um, when it gets to Santo. He had like this own secret laboratory, more or less. Like he had a wall that opened up, and that, that's actually where uh, Commander USA got it from because he had the same thing. He had a wall that opened up, and behind it was this TV and a whole bunch of dials that you put turn, and he would get yeah, signals very, from very Batman like. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And he would get signals from like whatever the government secret agent, or sometimes it was totally ridiculous because he would have moving cameras on the baddies or whatever he wanted to see. So somehow he just have like you know, whatever they call them, CCTV set up all around the, the streets and see a car pass by. The, the camera's just moving like the director and following people and listening to their conversations. And he's sitting in his lab going, hmm, okay, now I know what they're up to. Like, really? <laughs> uh, really comic booky, really juvenile, really childish in a lot of ways. But that's also what makes them so much fun. And they're so absurd that they're really creative. You know, sometimes you have stuff that a kid does that's like, you know, that was actually pretty cool. Who the hell would ever thought of that? I like that. That's what these are, very much so. Um, what else could we say about this? Oh, and a lot of times they actually, uh, because they were wrestlers, they didn't have stuntmen. So you would actually have whoever it was uh, doing, you know, leaps and climbing walls and sometimes not so gracefully like in the case of Santa. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it was um, – there's a lot of ways that these things are impressive, but basically you've got to suspend your sense of disbelief more than you have with most films and just, you know, let yourself be a child again. It's like watching a serial. Like, oh, will they get out of it? Will they beat, you know, this guy? I remember there was one, you might know which one it was, where Santo had, uh, he was in the middle of a ring and fighting, you know, because this is another thing with these films. They will interrupt the action, whatever the plot is. And there's usually something like, oh, there's a kidnapped beautiful girl, or she's usually an old lady. She's not attractive anyway. But, uh, you know, that Santa, whoever it is, has to save uh, in the middle of the usual, okay, it's a mad scientist. Oh, here's the killer guy. we got to stop. Whatever it is, find the criminals. And they'll be in the middle of this whole thing where they're trying to catch him, and he's got his you know, rally of people, whoever it was, the father, the uncle, the spies, uh, the cops, whoever it is with Santa or whoever the wrestler is, trying to find whoever. The plotting going on back and forth, and then all of a sudden they'll stop because, oh, wait, i got to be at a match. And you will sit there for maybe you know half an hour 
watching a wrestling match you know, with Santo and you know whoever his opponent was this week. Like I remember one was uh, somebody El Hippie, so he was some old fat guy, really hairy, uh, must have been in his fifties, about you know three hundred pounds. Uh, that was supposedly a hippie. You know, like yeah, right, he's a hippie. Get out of here. <laughs> and he had like a long wig or whatever that they pulled off at the end. Oh, I, I and, don't think they were they were a half an hour long. I think they seemed it that was long. long. They were long. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden they, you watch this movie, it's like, whoa, what the hell is this? And you forward up, it's going and going and going. <laughs> they, they were probably eight minutes long, but I know I know what you mean. Sometimes, when actually when it's a half-decent movie, too, and it's like they have to put in that couple of requisite wrestling scenes, they seem like they're two hours long. Yes. In a 60-minute <laughs> movie, you know, it's like, <laughs> what's going on? Stop. I still think they're more than eight minutes. They, the very least, are like you know twelve to fifteen minutes. But yeah, it feels like they're half an hour. Uh, for not, sure. I, I don't think fifteen. I, I think a little less than that. But they certainly. I agree that they certainly seem that way. Yeah. So uh, Santo is obviously the, I guess the first and the biggest name. Uh, I don't know about order, but in terms of ones that were released in English, uh, there's the Santo and Blue Demon versus Doctor Frankenstein, uh, mm-hmm. Santo versus the Riders of Terror, which is a very much a western. Basically, it's almost like a spaghetti western uh, with these guys that are terrorizing a border town, uh, cowboys more or less. Uh, Vengeance of the Mummy, which there's a bunch of mummy ones here, and they're usually like Aztec mummies, you know, like the Robert versus the Aztec mummy, because you know that's it's Mexico, it's their culture. Um, let's see, but there actually is what Frankenstein's daughter. Uh, the Treasure of Dracula, The Border of Terror, that's another one with these uh, Western type things. Oh, the, uh, the big one, uh, Santa versus the Vampire one, 62. Yes, that's a, that's a really good one. Uh, that's one of the ones currently USA you showed back when. Uh, Santa and Blue um, Demon versus Dracula and the Wolfman. Uh, that may Santa be the one where the, the guys. Museum? That's you actually what I was trying to get at before. I don't think I got there. Uh, so you'd be in the middle of this wrestling match in the middle of the thing, and in this particular one, Santa's fighting the guy. Pulls off his mask and oh no, he's a werewolf! <laughs> yeah. the mask. And I was like, ah, another werewolf's like throwing people around. He, he takes the the um, the rest are jumping in the ring, other wrestlers jump in the ring. He's throwing them out left and right. Crazy, crazy shit. Um, let's see, the diabolical axe. I always liked that one. He had a couple where he was like dealing with reincarnation and effectively like Satanists or cultists. Um, the witch's attack is another one like that. Uh, Vengeance of the Crying Woman, you know, La Llorona, which is a very popular, uh, not just a legend, but also another K. Gordon Murray uh, import here. Uh, and they took the success of that and made it into a Santo film. Um, you mentioned the Vampire Woman. The Wax Museum was another early one that was really good. Well, the, the, va- the Vampire Woman was really good because actually I thought that one was atmospheric. Yes. Uh, and uh, it had some great. girls were hot. <laughs> Some of the girls were hot. A lot of them were hot. And, and you know, we're talking black and white 61, maybe, yeah. 62. And, and we're well, talking about... Well, Yeah, we're, and we're talking about the way, as far as the women in the caves, it, the, the production getting away with blue murder mm-hmm. with the diaphanous gowns. Because, you know, we're not, we're not seeing naked women below them, but we're seeing very elaborate... Lingerie, and this, these are black and white, mind you. But uh, and wait till we get to the color ones. But we're seeing very elaborate lingerie uh, that was done in the costume shop uh, yep. b- below these diaphanous gowns, and it made these girls look even more tremendous. Some of them who had killer figures. Yeah, um, and that's the thing—you see a lot of cleavers. They're very busty. 
Uh, and, you know, it, there's a lot of, um, especially in the vampire women, there are hints that it's sort of a almost lesbian subculture. Uh, so yeah. there's a lot of that undercurrent that's more, not even an undercurrent, it's more of an overtone going on. Uh, and, of course, you've got Satanism going on. Even though these are supposed to be vampires or witches or whatever the hell it is, they will bring that in every time. I remember one of them, they kept worshipping uh, basically supposed to be the devil, and I thought they had like a, a cheap shadow on the wall with like flames behind it. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they would pan to it every time, like, oh, master, what will you do for us? And they'd uh, yeah. see the lightning come down, and there would be like flashes of this sky, you know, shadow on the wall. It was actually really funny, but, you know, it's also atmospheric, too. Um, what and else did they well, have? The witch, and the witch's attack was another one that was very similar to that one. Hardly, I don't think I've ever saw it in English. Uh, it is, uh, it is. It's one of those it ones is? that came out from um, Rise Above back when. Okay, yeah, that's another good one too. It's it's another it good one. They they were really clever when they tried to use these these caves um, for uh, you know sets that that were supposed to be near cemeteries or some kind of thing, and and that one was very similar to the Peplum uh, Machiste goes to hell with the yes. Forest, that old one. Not as yeah, big, some same idea. Yeah. There were there were some similarities there. I I kind of like that one a lot. Um, not a great movie because, of course, we had to cover the gamut, and they were doing crime, and I don't think they were as successful. No. Which is probably why they stayed with fantasy, mm-hmm. uh, like Santo versus the Villains of the Ring. I saw that one. Uh, Blue Santo and Blue Demon versus the Satanic Power. Which is actually yes. a Blue Demon movie, but Santo shows up in it, and and so I read. I'm looking at Wikipedia. Says he has a cameo appearance. No, actually, Santo shows up for half the picture. Um, but the Satanic Power is actually just a crime lord who actually yes. is just trying to. You know, I was gonna say it's kind of um, a fake out. <laughs> yeah, and, and more, and, but more atmospheric was something like you, you know you mentioned uh, Edgar Wallace before Santo versus the Strangler, which was actually. I only saw that in Spanish. Uh, rather hard to find nowadays because it it, it didn't have that uh, that big appeal to the audience that's looking for a bit of a kink and a kick. But it was very close to a Edgar Wallace type thing with the uh, you know uh, the Strangler fo- Foggy. Where's their fog in Mexico? Okay, forget about it. But still. <laughs> There was a couple that um, have that, though. You're right. I mean, you're in Mexico, yeah. and there's like – I remember there was one. I forget which one it was, and the baddies were like coming up the front lawn, and it felt very much Sax Romer, Edgar Wallace, uh, maybe yeah. even Sherlock Holmes, uh, and w- with fog going on the whole time. And, and of course, you know, the cops trying to shoot him down, and I forget whether they were just – there's too many of them or if they were supposed to be like vampires and undead because they weren't going down. <laughs> And they actually killed a couple of the cops. I was like, wow, this is really – it's strange. You're not expecting it for something so silly as a Santa movie. Um, you but, know, but uh, I don't know yeah. if you knew this, but at some point in time, and I'm not sure how, and I don't know why it wasn't the U.S., but Santa started to become popular in France. Uh, I'm really? not sure if he ever wrestled in France. It's possible he did. I, I just didn't think that think that search, you know, but uh, there were some Mexican-French co-productions, and one of these fuckers is Operation 67, which you oh, all yeah. should see. I like that Have one. Have you seen this? 
It's a Eurospy. It's one of those like in Spanish, but yeah. It's a Eurospy. It's 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 in color. It's it's one of the you know around that turning point, sixty six, sixty seven, mm-hmm. where they start shooting more in color, and um, uh, you know it's cheap, but you know he's got that freaking Jaguar, but you know he's uh, <laughs> he's jet skiing. He's um, the girls are super hot. I think uh, Eduardo Fajardo is in that. Um, yes. As one of the villains, and uh, you know, a guy who showed up in a lot of Euro Spy, maybe the occasional Franco picture, and it's good. Okay, our hero wears a mask, and this was at the kind of period. It's funny that the Italians were not the ones that, in this time period, were were digging on the Santo thing because of crimis and because yep. of. Uh, what, what were those? those well, criminal those and killing. Criminal. And, uh, diabolic. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on over there. Diabolic, yeah. But they, they didn't pick up on this. The ones, they didn't pick no. up on this, and which is bizarre. But the French did, and, and bless them, because I think the extra money really helped. And also, uh, I, I don't know if you can quote me. This is my assert, uh, assumption, my assertion on this thing is I also think they were able to shoot a little sexier than they normally would have. Maybe so, um, yeah. So, uh, I, mean, the, I mean, not only are the girls standing around and posing and primping and whatever, but with these French co-productions, there's a few, and there's one where the French version is actually full of nudity. Whoa. The Santo is, you know, a kid's thing, pretty much. Yeah. It was, you know, um, when he was... A wrestler, he was the children were huge fans of him, and you know, as these movies progressed and they started getting a little bit more twisted. I mean, yeah, as far as the earlier ones, they're moody, they're atmospheric, there's the horror elements. Some of these actually work, yep. So, by the time we're getting to something like Santo and Dracula's Treasure, or Santo and the Treasure of Dracula, yeah, where the far version is vampire and sex. I love that. Um, there's a black and white. The one the Mexicans got was the black and white cut, which right. which you know, removes all the nudity. It's still atmospheric. Um, there's a couple of shots there where the ladies are obviously not wearing lingerie underneath their gowns, but they kind of overlit, or they probably did that in post-op, you know, somewhere along the way. It's black and white. Right. But the color version is full of nudity. Uh, the same actresses, so it's not, um, which is I found really interesting. So it's not like uh, inserts, and uh, it's like pick pick your choice of them. Did you see the color one? Uh, I think that's the one that they put out from Rise Above, so yes. And you're right, I do enjoy that one a lot. Um, yeah. Actually, if just to kill off the ones that are out in there in English, Samson and the Wax Museum, because actually the uh, vampire woman also came over as Samson under K. Gordon Murray. Um that's another really decent one. Uh, versus The Martians, which was pretty bad. It was actually, I think, his last one before Junior took over. Or maybe it was when Junior took over. I can't remember which. Uh, and The Royal Eagle, which was, again, another Western. wasn't that great. But of those, I would have to say that The Vampire Warren and Max, Wax Museum are definitely way up there. They're really good. Uh, the Witch's Attack and Diabolical Axe are very atmospheric. And Vengeance of the Mummy and Treasure of Dracula I have really fond memories of. 
And you're right in that I thought that there was a little bit more of what you were getting later, more of a, a TNA quotient than you would expect from the kind of film that it is. I mean, it's not that extreme, but compared to what you're expecting to get from this Saturday matinee kids film kind of a thing, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but that's really it. You know, there was really only like 16 of these things released in total in English thus far. Uh, what's out there... You know, the other, geez, how many, 20-something of them that we have uh, are all these kind of uh, Sony jobs or just straight-up Mexican. Uh, like you said, Operation 67 was a really good one. Um, there is one... Uh, there, there's a follow-up to that. that um, what's it called? Mission Suicide, which was yeah. uh, 71, uh, which which I saw. I, I don't have it. I used to have it. I used to have a lot of stuff. Uh, which they really tried to follow up with that vein, that kind of feel, right. as Operation sixty seven, but it was it was purely a Spanish uh, production, and it, it just appeared that um, they either did not have the gusto to follow through, or they just were trying to actually copy something that was much more successful, their own picture, too, you know? Right. And you had mentioned Inspector of the Strangler. That's actually on one of the Sony jobs with... Uh, they actually had two twofers for a while there with versus the werewolf women. And that's a good disc to have because both of those are pretty damn good considering. I mean, but again, they're just in Spanish. Uh, the Wax Museum you can also get in Spanish with Blue Demon in the World of the Dead, uh, which is... Again, I mean, it's a Blue Demon film. His films really don't work that well. But of them, that's definitely one of the best, if not the best. Yeah, that is one of the better ones. Let's see. I really... I also liked, uh, like you mentioned, The Vampires of Kokoyan and The Mansion of the Seven Mummies. Those are pretty damn good. Usually when they've got mummies in these films with the mass wrestlers, it'll work. I mean, they're slow, uh, but it'll still work. Because they throw in other stuff. Like there's a, there, there was this fat mad scientist and, and a midget. Uh, who was like his assistant, and they were kind of going around with their army of like zombie slaves or whatever the hell, trying to revive these mummies, which it's hilarious because I remember the one, uh, they walk into this thing, it's kind of out in the open field, and there's this, whatever it is, temple door, they walk in, and right out in the open air, there's these supposedly, you know, several thousand year old Aztec mummies, you know, exposed to the air, you know, didn't rot away, no problem, no front door, you know, it's like wide open, it's, it's like walking into the the Lincoln Memorial or whatever the hell, and there's these mummies standing there on the wall, and of course they come to life to attack Santa or whoever the hell, you know, it's fun stupid, check-your-brain-at-the-door kind of stuff. But, again, they usually do work in that respect. But then you get stuff that just doesn't. Um, you know, you had mentioned uh, the Blue Demon against the uh, Satanic Power. Blue Demon and the, the Infernal Brain was really bad, too. Another, It sounds like it's going to be something cool, but it's not. It's just a lame true crime type thing. Uh, Blue Demon, Destructor of Spies and Passport to Death. That's another twofer. And again, of the Blue Demons, it's probably a lot closer to something like Operation 67 than he normally would do. But is it really that good? Eh, you know, they're okay. They're watchable. Um, well, did you ever see Santa versus Dr. Death, which in its original incarnation is a rather weak, blase, kind of, uh, you know, uh, ant scientist kind of thingy. But, 
somehow there's a French version in English, which I got a hold of many years ago, called F Man Strikes Again. Okay. Which they actually changed to be this masked wrestler guy who's a secret agent, and it becomes like a Franco movie. <laughs> and they they dragged up Eduardo Fajardo, Helga Line, isn't it? Helga Line. And it's got TNA, it's got girls being whipped and tortured. <laughs> um, I think that one was French. I would go so far as to say possibly an early Eurocine. Really? Um, because it's 73, it's possible. And so the guy looks like Santa. So it's possible they, they had him come over. To, uh, this is what I presume happened. They had him come over to probably work on a movie, and it just didn't really work. It failed. So what they did was they took this Santa versus Dr. Death, and they intercut this other stuff with it, and it became a patchwork film. Interesting. And so much, yeah, no- short, much shorter than Santa versus Dr. Death, by the way, but it's a hell of a lot of fun in a very sleazy way. I don't think I've seen that one. I think I would have remembered that. So there you go. It's a new one. Um, let's see. What else do we got here? Um, against the assassins of, from other worlds and the Martians. And he had a couple where he fought spacemen. Usually do not work. Uh, I'm not a big fan of like outer space type stuff like that anyway. I mean, I like things like Alien and you know, Planet of the Vampires and that sort of a thing. But when it comes to – or even the Al Brescia, you know, uh, low-rent uh, Italian epics there. But when it comes to something like that, like, oh, look, here's the men from Mars. No, it doesn't work for me at all. I don't buy oh, the yeah. X-Files. I don't believe in UFOs. You know, it's like, eh, hey, whatever. Well, 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 you're going off on a tangent there. But well, no. But, uh, <laughs> But 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 it seemed to me that when the the Mexicans, uh, the the producers of these Santa movies tried to dabble in sci-fi elements um, in their films, that they I don't know they're always thinking of oh we need comedy we need comedy you know we need a yes. we need a comedic we need a comedic um, person in the cast. Because you know maybe maybe they're thinking oh this is too straight too much for the the people you know so uh, yep. we're gonna have a, a Capolina <laughs> because he did some with Capolina Santa Contra Capolina uh, Capolina those who don't know was a famous I hate to brush him with the you know tarm with the feather brush of saying that he was uh, Mexico's Jerry Lewis because Jerry Lewis is an asshole but. You know, Capolino was kind of in that vein. It's kind of slapsticky, almost Jacques Tati, almost Jerry Lewis ish uh, guy with the mustache, and he would always be, you know, tripping and, you know, kind of like a little bit of um, Charlie Chaplin or even uh, Torosan from Japan. You know, this guy looks like a bum all the time, but somehow, he, you know, Franco Ciccio, another example. Uh, same well, sort probably, of idea. I think Capolino was also modeled on Canteen Flas, too. Continue plus the same idea, yes. Um, but, you know, here they're going to throw him in a Santo film because, you know, that that's what was popular at the time. The kids liked uh, Capolina. And honestly, it wasn't that bad. I actually did get a kick out of it, despite the fact that I was like, wow, you know, normally you try to get me to watch a Capolina film and forget about it. But, you know, it, it kind of works in its own way. Didn't you think so? Did you like it? Well. 
you know, it's it's definitely watchable for what you're talking about here. Uh, oh yeah, no, it's watchable. I wasn't a huge fan of it. I actually found myself liking probably the later Santo films. Um, and what? Because uh, like Fist of Death and Fury of the Karate Experts. <laughs> I've never seen those. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the Fist of Death, El, El, El Porto Satanico, had this, uh, I don't believe I knew her name. She was, uh, the, it was like, a, it was toward the end, I think it was like 1982, and um, they had this Isabel Sarley lookalike, and uh, these <laughs> two were like back-to-back pictures. There, there was the Karate Killers, the sequel to Fist of Death, that involved right. witchcraft and, and Kung Fu. Right. In a jungle setting. Okay. So, yeah. Then you have Mexican wrestlers. So what else do you want? Plus you got this <laughs> huge... Uh, you would call her... What? Serena Grandi-ish, you know? Okay. Uh, and, uh, wow. And the costume was great. They left very little to the imagination. <laughs> so it's it's very interesting. And I think... In the sequel, she suddenly had a twin sister with black hair. Right. The other girl was Auburn. A very, very interesting movie. And uh, I wish I kept them for fun reasons. <laughs> like, drag this out. Hey, did you ever see this Santa movie? But uh, I, I don't know what happened to things over the course of time. They're they're fun for, for the wrong reasons. Yeah, <laughs> you said about a lot of these movies. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier Champions of Justice and Mystery of Bermuda. Those were both rather late in the film cycle, and this is where they started bringing together a whole bunch of stars, not just Santa and Blue Demon, who are regulars, but they started bringing in oddballs like, you know, Superzon or Tenebris or, you know, Mil Mascaris. Um, you know, Decent stuff for what it is, but you can tell that everybody's getting a little older. They're kind of tired of doing this. You know, a lot of the spirit that you get with something like, you know, Vengeance of the Mummy, for example, where they're on a sort of Indiana Jones-ish, you know, very low rent Indiana Jones um, treasure hunt, and they end up in this cave with mummies, and it, it turns into like a half-assed version of like the Hammer film, The Mummy, with the father and all that, and and of course, like you mentioned, the, the busty daughter, and she's all kind of hot for whatever the hell that this uh, this other guy that's there, the young, good-looking guy, and then they've got this whole scam where somebody who's, I don't know what the hell's going on, selling guns or some crap, and then of course Santo's in the middle of all this. Why they bring Santo along on these trips is a mystery. It, it's like, how does he really get involved? You know, when you're thinking, okay, well, I've got a murder mystery to solve, or I've got, you know, a, a spy-type thing, we we got a crime ring, we want to break, or, you know, here's some, like, you know, horrible monsters and mad scientists in town. You know, let me call up... Uh, John Cena, what the hell? Let's bring The Undertaker in on this. I mean, you know, what, what is the thinking here? You know, logically, it makes zero sense, uh, especially since, as I mentioned, a lot of times it's this guy who's like kind of dressed like, I don't know, I hate to say Mr. Rogers, but, you know, like I said, turtleneck sweater, loafers. Uh, he's kind of got like old man pants like you get from Hayband, or he'll be up in a suit. And he's sitting there behind this desk, you know, whatever, maybe smoking a pipe, whatever, in this, you know, mask wrestling thing. And one of the things that I wanted to mention earlier that I didn't get to is that Santo, and I think it happened to the other mask wrestlers as well, but not to the same extent. Uh, this fella, uh, what was his real name? Uh, Rodolfo Guzman Huerta was his name. Uh, he actually 
had his if he ever took his mask off, like you know, the family could see it, and they were the only ones. Uh, his ears were all kind of screwed up, and his nose was squashed, and his face was all kind of squashed in by this mask. Because remember, with a, a Mexican wrestling mask, it's not just like I'm putting a mask on my face and it's like kind of tight and hard to breathe. No, they actually tie it off in the back because the whole shtick with Mexican wrestling is, oh wait, I've got to pull. You, you probably know from watching. Um, Who's the yeah. young guy that was doing it all the time in WWE? The uh, he's like a high flyer. Uh, they loved him for a while there. Um, shit, I can't think of his name right now. Ray Mysterio, thank you. My wife just right, Ray Mysterio. Uh, same thing. The big shtick is to try to pull off their mask, and half the time, if they ever do it, you know, they're wearing another mask underneath or something. Uh, but usually, when somebody got unmasked, at least in the Mexican wrestling. That was the end of their career. That was it. They had to come back as somebody else. They could no longer be that character because, oh, screw that. You know, he got unmasked. He was, he was unmanned. It was like practically castrating the guy. So when it came to somebody like Santo especially, he was really popular. He lived in this, you know, basically a small, poor town kind of a thing. So all the kids be hanging around the front door all the time and peeking in his house and whatever, hanging around with him. So he could never be seen without the mask. So therefore, like I mentioned, uh, when they finally did take it off in private – uh, that's what happened. He was all kind of his old features were squashed and everything by this having this tight mask and pulling his ears back and his nose back and everything else for whatever it was twenty years. Uh, so you did pay a price for this kind of fame, but it, I will tell you that I understand from Mexicans that were of that vintage that this was like a real life superhero for them. It wasn't just like, oh look, I saw Johnny Depp on the street, yay, you know, whatever the hell the gay pirate he always plays, uh, Jack Sparrow. No, no, this people really thought. This guy was El Santo 24-7. Oh, wait, here's the Superman. He's going to come help us out, and then he's going to go beat some opponents in the ring while he's at it. Like, really? So <laughs> that's kind of the way it was. And it was, you know, if you're really into fame, you really can't get more famous than somebody like El Santo than Mexico in the, well, I, the 60s and 70s. I also, it, I also found it interesting that he actually unmasked himself on TV. Really? Uh, yeah. He actually unmasked himself on television. And uh, do, do, do. around 1980, probably, because you know, that would have been when he retired. So he probably just gave it over to his son after that. Yes, uh, 1984. Yeah. Oh, there you go. He was already retired. 1984. Santa was a guest on uh, Contrapunto, a Mexican TV program, and completely without warning, removed his his mask to expose his face. Um, it's the only documented ca- case of Santo ever removing his mask in public. He died, I understand, uh, a week or two later. How was that? Yeah, he was pretty old at that point. Uh, how old was this guy? He well, was, uh... He wasn't that old. He was 66. So, yeah. no. He's not young. For a wrestler, <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I... Yeah, you should, for, for a wrestler, yes, it's, it's old because your body takes a lot of, you know, beating. Yeah. I mean, it was in kind terms of, of hard ten years until the Republicans took over. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, but anyway, um, you know, this is kind of the way these films run. There are other films, like I mentioned, there were other people. Um, just going through it, uh, Tini Ablis, who didn't show up in a lot of stuff. But I did like him. Uh, he was definitely in the Champions of Justice. Uh, he was in – actually, he was in that Fury of the Karate Experts he mentioned with Santo and Fist of yeah. Death. Um, he was in another Capolina film, Investigator Capolina. 
Uh, he was in The Mummies of San Angel. He was in uh, Macabre Legends of the Colony with Neil Moscaris. Uh This fella, let's see, apparently he was 32 years old when he debuted, which is kind of old for wrestling, uh, at least as a start. And originally he was a bodybuilder and a stuntman. Uh, his name was Manuel Leal. And uh, let's see what else happened here. Uh, that's basically it on him. Uh, I did like him in the couple of movies. I saw him. Oh, he's in the Castle of the Mummies of Guanajuato as well. And uh, Super Zon the Invincible. And the Champions of Justice. So there you go. Uh, so he did pop up in a lot of the team-up wrestling films. He didn't really carry any, I don't believe, by himself. He was always with uh, one to four other guys. Uh, but, you know, he had a... A decent, you know, they always change their mask, but he had a decent mask, and uh, I definitely got a kick on him because he was kind of like, I hate to say the Reg Park of the group, but he had a more uh, intimidating, not just build, but demeanor. You know, he was kind of like the, I hate to say the strong silent type because that implies like a Gary Cooper or something. He was more of like the scary uh, silent type, like you want to fuck with this guy in the back, he's the muscle, you know, that kind of a thing. Um... Mil Moscaris, who was the big one, uh, or after the the two main ones we talked about, uh, he was seventy three. Uh, let's see, I don't know if he's even alive still. He might still be. Uh, boo, his name was Aaron Rodriguez, and let's see, just see what movies he was in. Flipping through these notes here. He was in the Mummies of Guanajuato. Definitely, yes. And I think also the, uh, what is it, the Mysteries of Bermuda? Uh, Mysteries of Bermuda, yeah. Let's see. Apparently he had a couple by himself. Uh, He did one black and white film, uh, which was just called Mule Masqueras, which is apparently his origin story or whatever. Uh, And then he was in uh, The Vampire Girls, uh, Champions of Justice, like I mentioned, along with Guadalajara. Uh, Theft of the Mummies of Guanajuato. That's true. That's right. Yes, I yep. forgot all about that. That's Champions pretty good. Justice actually. Return. Uh, Macabre Legends of the Colony, which I mentioned earlier. The Mummies of St. Angel. The, Vampor- the Vampires of Kikoyan. Uh, Mystery of the Bermuda. Uh, the, <laughs> with El Hijo de Santos. Santos' son in the Frontier Without Laws, or the Laws Frontier. Uh, that was in 83. Uh, and he even started in, apparently, I don't think it was him, but somebody started as Mil Moscaris in a 2007 movie called Mil Moscaris vs. the Aztec Mummy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, again, another one where, for the most part, they didn't think he could carry his own movies, but he was memorable. And I remember him being kind of athletic of all of these guys. Uh, was, Santa was not very athletic. He was a brawler. He was a bruiser. And he was getting older anyway. Uh, Blue Demon was short and angry, but he wasn't much of a, a brawler either. He was more of a, I guess, a stocky take on a high flyer. Uh, he wasn't really, you know, like a Rey Mysterio type. Uh, it wasn't that kind of a high flyer. But he was, compared to the others, he was. But this guy, Mil Moscaris, was actually the guy that would do all the action. If you want to see a good wrestling move, uh, you know, even in the course of a fight or something, or some good stunt, it was going to be him doing it. And his whole shtick was that, Every single time you saw him, unlike Blue Demon, unlike not so much darkness at Tinnabos, but uh, unlike Santo, it wasn't like every time he had to have that mask. That's what he was. He would change him, you know, five times in the course of a movie. That was part of the shtick. Uh, so again, fun to watch visually. Um, let's see, Super Zon was another one. I did not like this guy much. Uh, his name was Alfonso Mora. Uh, he did 
pop up in films alongside the other guys. Like, uh, let's see, Superzon the Incredible, Superzon the Nino from Space. Uh, let's see, Investigator Capolina again with uh, Milmoscris. Uh, Mummies of Guanajuato, or the cast of the Mummies of Guanajuato. Uh, Vampires of Coyan, again, you, you notice the same titles are popping up a lot. Uh, the Triumph of the Champions of Justice, uh, The Mansion of the Seven Mummies. Basically, again, most of his films are with groups. Uh, but he did get a couple, as you heard in the beginning, where he got a starring role. The thing is, he had no real personality. And apparently, the real-life wrestler, there was some kind of a, a shtick, some kind of thing they wrote for him, where he lost his mask. So that was it for the character. But then they said, oh, was it really him, or was it an imposter? Like, um, who was that guy, Kane, where they changed Kane's midway through? Remember that? Uh, same thing after that. So it's like, well... Who is he really? Who knows? Who cares? I did not find him. Of all the masked wrestlers that were famous, I found him the least appealing. Uh, but, you know, they tried to make him, obviously, as his name suggests, kind of like a Mexican Superman type. Uh, I didn't think he had that much of a build. He was kind of tall, uh, not much of an actor, not much of a wrestler. It was just like, eh, all right, whatever. Uh, but, you know, some people love them, so we had to mention him. Uh, Blue Demon, and we have mentioned many times already. Uh, let's see, his name was uh, Alejandro Munez Moreno. And he's actually almost as old as Santo. He was born in 1922, for God's sakes. Um, he retired in 89. Uh, let's see, he was in... Let's see, Blue Demon. He actually had a couple, well, several movies by himself. Uh, and he was considered a lead, kind of like Santo. Even though he would star a lot of times in Santo films, and sometimes in these uh, team-up films... He was definitely the only other guy besides Santo that had a respectable career, uh, not just in the ring where they were rivals, but outside because he had – what do you have? Like, jeez, uh, 15, 20 movies? No, more. Jeez. He was going for a while. Well, that was the interesting thing too is when they would team up in, the, in some of the movies. Oh, they were best buddies. That was the best part. Because I always yeah. grew up thinking that, they, oh, yeah, Blue Demon and Santo, they're like good, you know, they're besties here. But in reality, they hated each other. <laughs> they were like total ring rivals. Uh, let's see. Oh, and apparently that other fellow that popped in a couple of things, Ryo de Jalisco, he was another rival of his. Uh, and Blue Demon beat him in 1988 after, like, you know, being his rival back in the 60s. So, you know, he was kind of the the underdog and surprisingly kids, those who were, once again thought that he was a hero like I did, he was the bad guy. Blue Demon was kind of the heel. Um, yeah. He was the Roddy Roddy Piper of the group. You know, you loved him, but, you know, he was the heel. Uh, let's see. Just looking at a lot of the same titles pop up uh, and, and ones that we had mentioned earlier, like, uh, you know, Blue Demon Destroyer Spies and uh, Blue Demon versus Satanic Power and things like that. But again, not really – his films didn't work that well. They were trying to be Santo films. They've got a lot of the same aesthetic, the same basic setup, but he doesn't carry it as well. As a foil, playing against somebody else, especially Santo, uh, he's really good. And you get a kick out of it. It's like, oh, this is great. These two work well together, even though Santos taking more of the spotlight and is more self-assured. Because uh, he was kind of like, I hate to say like the Robin character to his Batman, but it was kind of that feel like, okay, yeah, I'll show you up. I can do this. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You know, I'll, I'll take the lead. And of course, he kind of fucks it up, and Santos coming in and save him. Uh, you know, okay, I'll do better next time. Watch. You know, I, you know, I'll need you around. I'll, I'll do it by myself, and he gets captured. That kind of a thing. But on his own... 
I don't know, he just didn't have the persona for it, really. I mean, they're enjoyable enough films for what they are. If you've never had a Santo film, you would say, okay, these are pretty interesting. You might still talk about them, but not really the same thing. He doesn't have that, um, again, the self-assurance, that grandfatherly nature that Santo always had. And he was always kind of like, like I mentioned, the guy in the sweater vest and the suit or whatever, kind of stand there all like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll help you out, whatever. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll get your daughter back for you. And that's the end of it. Boudin would never be like that. He'd be kind of uh, hanging out by the balls of his ass, and nobody would trust him. Uh, and with good reason, because he might fuck it up. Uh, that's kind of the character he was, but that was the persona he had. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, we already mentioned about Santo and all his great films. Uh, yeah, so that's really all that I have to say on these movies. I mean, uh, that's my collection of them in English is pretty small. You're talking about you know, maybe 16 movies, like I said. And outside of that, maybe you got about you – know, some of these are double features, obviously, but you know, there are 25 films in Spanish uh, split among Santo, Blue Demon, and especially a lot of these team-ups because I don't think any of the team-ups came over in English. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. The uh, Champions of Justice, Mr. Bermuda one, but otherwise none of these were in English. They were all kind of uh, – if you dig up in Spanish, all these mummies of Guanajuato films and things like that. Um, still worth seeing if you enjoy the other ones that much. Uh, and you can find them cheap. It's worth taking a look, but not really the kind of thing you want to go crazy about because they're all the same, and they're really kind of goofy and juvenile. Uh, you might be just as well watching a lot of them, especially the Spanish ones, unlike YouTube or whatever, if you can do that. So how about you? What do you want to say? Uh, well, you know, uh, except for the ones that we both liked quite a bit, uh, and uh, some of the more oddball cornerstone, like the attacks of witches, uh, Yes, that was a really versus the Vampire Woman, the black and white one from the early 60s. And, of course, the color and black and white one from 68, 69. And Operation 67, the girls by Bond thing. Right. And, of course, there's the, the one I th- threw out you, Mass Man Strikes Again. Also, Santo versus Doctor Death. But I wish I'd seen that, but <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, you know, I, I have to look and see if I still have that um, or a copy of it. But uh, no one's not seen. It. I highly recommend it. Uh, and it's worth tracking down. It's a bizarre patchwork movie. So, yeah, so these things were enjoyable. They were of their time. We probably won't see this. Ilk again, um, which is funny because <clears throat> back in the late 90s, I was living with a friend of mine, a huge wrestling fan. Same guy I mentioned before, but this time I was living with And I had not paid attention to wrestling the setup. Right. And he blasts, blasts the volume. He's watching, what are you doing, man? Watching wrestling. <laughs> Holy shit. So there's like no way you could <laughs> tune it out, read a book or something. You know, yeah, right. It's not going to happen. You, you're stuck for two, three hours. <laughs> so I'm watching this thing. This is the late 90s. And I'm like, who's this guy? He tells me. So I start because there's nothing I can do. I can watch it when he's watching it. Right. So I'm like, so after a couple of weeks of this, I turned to my friend and said, this guy's going to. 
dog. Oh no, this is the role he's acting. No, no, you don't get me. This guy's gonna be the star. You know who this guy was? He was the who rock. Really? The rock. <laughs> and I call that good. I call that good. I knew I saw in that guy something. It's funny, I never liked The Rock. He just never did anything for me. He's just a, a braggart without anything to back it up. But you can see mm-hmm. that he has persona. Like we were talking about with Santo. I mean, you can see why kids gravitated to him. You can see why people like him. Uh, you can see why he's become sort of a half-assed Hollywood star. He's got that sort of uh, persona, that sort of inner... I hate to say strength's not really the right word, but that kind of uh, self-assuredness. Uh, going beyond all the bragging that he always does and the fact that he wasn't that great of a wrestler to go with it. Uh, he reminds me of Muhammad Ali in a lot of respects. I mean, yeah, okay, rope-a-dope and all that shit, and I did like Ali when he actually boxed, you know, when he actually did stuff as opposed to just playing rope-a-dope for five hours. Uh, but same thing. It was, it was all about the bragging, and then when it came to, you know, it came down to brass tacks, it just wasn't there. It wasn't that impressive. <laughs> and that's how I always felt about The Rock. He was like, eh, whatever. But, yeah, I could see why he is popular. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I, and I called it when he was still wrestling. He was still being, that was his big thing back then. He was trying to be, you know, like, remember Hulk Hogan went good for so many years, and then he yep. tried being bad? And the heel, yep. Yep. <clears throat> and so when I was watching this with this guy, this friend of mine, The Rock is starting to go good, and he had elements of being bad, but he was, like, having this dichotomy within this, himself, this fight. I found that really interesting. Like, well, this guy's trying to act. He's actually pulling it off. I'm impressed. Yep. And I have to say, I just happen. That makes a lot of fun. So <laughs> I happen to some of them. I actually like in the Fast and Furious, whatever it was, the really good one, five. I thought okay. I thought it was pretty good though. But I don't really follow him all that often, and uh, I had to say we. He actually was the wife wanted to see San Andreas. This, okay. Uh, about the earthquake. And uh, I have to show you that the guy was terrific in it. I was like, wow, this is the kind of thing he should do all the time. <laughs> Which brings us to uh, I see Shane Black really wants him for Doc Savage. Really? The Rock? Yes. That seems really not right to me. But, hey, you know, I know they're trying to be multicultural or whatever, but it's just I can't picture him as Doc Savage. He's, he doesn't well, have a persona. He doesn't have the persona needed, but at the same time, I think the only way a Doc Savage movie would even get bankrolled is if I had a name attached to it. So Arnold's True. too old. And he did think of Arnold years ago. Yes, they did. And uh, maybe I don't know. Um, I, I I think maybe they could pull it off. They have to get some kind of wig that works. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I find it really interesting. But uh, I think I think they probably said, "We'll give you the money. You get you you put seats in the theater." And they probably sure. figure they look they look at the guy's box office, and you know for the most part it's really good. So they probably figure. All right, we'll do That's it. That's all I care about. We mentioned that, uh, was it here? Oh, no, it was somewhere else, wasn't it? I remember talking about that recently on one of the podcasts, and it was like, yeah, 
You know, okay, who do you got? Who can we attach to this? Oh, it was us. It was talking about the Avengers movie, that crappy one from the 90s. Yeah, okay, oh, well, right. we got Uma Thurman. Okay, good. Who else you got? Uh, we can get Sean Connery. Done. Greenlighted. They don't know nothing about the fucking project. None of these people fit the roles of the spot that they're in. But, damn it, it's a name, and that's all they need. One or two names, and that's it. Sold. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Well, anyway, we hope everyone liked listening to tonight's show. I think our show's done tonight, correct? Yeah, I would think so. And next week we have... All right, next week, what do we got here? Oh, uh, so next week, Tony Anthony, still stranger. Uh, West Virginia-born Roger Tony Anthony Petito made a name for himself when he moved to Italy and started in the Stranger series, presenting a uniquely sleazy, sneaky, and quite amoral anti-hero. Failure fell removed from the likes of Clint Eastwood, Johnny Garko, Franco Nero, William Berger, or even Lee Van Cleef. So, breaking ties with original director Luigi Vanzi, Anthony came to an even greater prominence in more entertaining films in partnership with Ferdinand Baldi for the Ringo Starring Blind Man, the genre-blending Get Mean, and the two films that kickstarted the short-lived 80s 3D cinema revival coming at you in the Indiana Jones-esque Treasure of the Four Crowns. So join us next week as we take on the last train in the Clarksburg and tell the brief but fascinating career of Tony Anthony only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. Uh, so, last train to Clarksburg? Yes, I did. That's funny. <laughs> I'm going to go see the monkeys Wednesday the night before our show. <laughs> you didn't know that, so I was like, no, I didn't. Spooky. <laughs> well, we were yeah. talking about Amy Dolan's the other week for some reason. I forget why. Uh, oh, you Amy... were hot for her when you were younger. That's right. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. And it was a good reason. Mm-hmm. I've seen her again now. I can see why. She's definitely uh, well-built and very pretty and likable. Uh, again, I don't know where the hell – I don't know where the gene pool came from. It must have been the mother. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then again, Mickey Dolan's did right on that stepping stone, which is a great minor threat track. Uh, so <laughs> all respect to that. Yeah, the Pistols did a good version of that. And uh, speaking of the monkeys, they have a new album out. And uh, the New York Times reviewed it and gave it a good review today. I couldn't believe really? that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's, it, they actually found three tracks from early days that, that never came out that they reworked, and uh, produced by Fountains of Wayne, a uh, guy, and uh, Noel Gallagher contributed, and uh, Peter Paul Weller. Okay. So, got some heavy-handed folks on this, so... Uh, that's a strange batch of people to get. The guy from Fountains of Wayne, Paul Weller, I mean, what the hell? Okay, the jam, and uh, what was the one I was like, File Council? I mean, that really fits with the monkeys. Like, what? <laughs> well, you know what? These guys probably grew up on that shit like, like we did. Yeah. And they probably like secret monkeys fans. And it's probably, you know, everybody has like two or three songs they put away. Nobody's ever going to hear them. What's that? <laughs> no, no, you can't hear and they probably said, well, <laughs> in the Times piece, there was uh, so-and-so contacted so-and-so and said, would you be interested? It so happens. I have a couple songs here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, they're pretty good, so I'm really, I'm really curious. Huh? Okay. So, yeah, you'll be taking the last train to Clarksburg. <laughs> Literally. That's Clarksville, but still. Clarksburg being for where uh, Tony Anthony grew up. Uh, but anyway, uh, I guess that's it, unless you want to say anything that's more. Shout out about wrestling. <laughs> yeah, 
thank you, thank you, thank you for listening tonight. As always, uh, it was a fun show, and I hope it was fun for you listening. And yeah, next week Tony Anthony, so mean spirited spaghetti western hokum coming yep. your way. That's it. I just, uh, you know, the one that I hadn't seen in ages because you know I got the Stranger Collection. I had watched that several months back. Uh, I loved Get Mean when that came out. Um, I already had and loved the uh, the two uh, 3D movies. I had actually seen one of them in a theater, which was uh, Treasure of Four Crowns. Uh, but Blind Man, I'd always kind of ignored. So I was like, all right, you know, I got to pull it out. I know I got it in the collection here on one of these things. Uh, I got to watch this for it again. And I was like, you know what? I used to, I mean, you might listen to one of the older shows and you hear me kind of like, eh, disparaging a little bit. It wasn't that great. It actually was. I mean, it wasn't fantastic, but I definitely enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it more than the uh, Three Stranger films. So uh, once again, just getting away from Vani there was a, a real beneficial thing for him. <laughs> well, <laughs> Even yeah, for Nano Bali work for Sarah. Yeah, no, he was fine, actually. I mean, he didn't have that much of a part. I know they always say, oh, look, it was a big part for him. Well, not really, but considering he was a musician and that no, no musicians really did that at the time, save maybe David Bowie, uh, you know, he wasn't bad at all. So. Um, exactly right. <laughs> it was almost typecasting for his weird looks, uh, especially at the time when he was all shaggy. But uh, all right, so I guess that's it. Uh, short show for you guys tonight. And we will see you next week talking Tony Anthony and a little bit of Spaghetti Westerns. So uh, we will see you next week. Okay. Stay tuned for more fun. Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our short little chat about uh, Santo and Mexican wrestling. Uh, next week we'll be talking Tony Anthony. If you'd like to contact us here, comment, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker or musician would like to join us on air, drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or at weirdscenes1. Weirdscenes inside the gold mine, brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network.
Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at Court Clearance Furniture. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.